Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author, and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. We had a big conversation recently among members of my Writerly Love community about learning and relearning the lesson of discernment when it comes to our writing in progress. In that conversation, we answered questions like, where and how do you share your writing? How can we be both open and selective about who we flap our work in front of? Meaning, who would you give permission to even provide you with feedback? Some writers I spoke with had had really bad, recent, and unfortunately not uncommon experiences in formal workshop programs affiliated with writing institutions, and the programs just sounded like terrible misfits for them, their work, and their level of experience and care for their craft. They might not have sounded like that when they signed up for them, but they definitely felt a familiar twinge when they were in the midst of them. And while I'm really sad that happened to them and sad about what's a very familiar to me cycle of relearning lessons, repeating the same mistakes, I take heart because these writers quickly recognized they were flapping their work in the wrong place and got out of these formal programs. So discernment is being refined there. And in writing this intro to this replay of episode 61, I had a quote about mistakes and repeating them on the tip of my brain. I didn't find it, but I did find a bazillion aphorisms about learning from our mistakes and growing, and these were of the never make the same mistake twice ilk. And I found nothing that honored making the same mistakes over and over, which, as I mentioned, is very familiar territory to me. On my best days, I know there is so much honor in making the same mistake twice, especially mistakes based on trusting people to hold your work in a responsible and caring way. You're showing up and doing your best for your writing, and probably the people giving you feedback are doing their best too, but it's just not the feedback that you needed. So what I think what changes as we remake mistakes like that in the flapping our work in front of the wrong people category is that we're quicker to recognize the pattern oh no, here I am again in this, the wrong place to put my work. And it feels like there's progress and writerly growth in that. And it's also so important to stay open and keep trying to find the writing community and feedback that nourishes you each season. And that could change too. So in that same conversation, this episode number 61 came up as one that helped a lot of writers with the idea of discernment. It is the origin, after all, of that phrase, don't flap your work just in front of anyone, which comes from Laurel Perry, one of the wonderful writers interviewed in the episode. So I'll mention now that next week, I will start up my behind-the-scenes look at the latest issue of Room Magazine that I edited with episode 80 of this podcast, of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. But I didn't want to leave you hanging this week. So this week, I offer this replay of episode 61, Staying True to You as You Publish, because it felt like the right time in this season when people join writing programs and restart sending out submissions to LitMix. So even if you already heard the episode, I suggest a re-listen because it's a lesson we're all apparently learning and relearning together. Our first writer is Laurel Perry, who is currently revising a completed manuscript of stories, fiction, creative nonfiction. So already talk about following your own voice with the mixed genre nature of her book. 
But it wasn't always so for Laurel, who said... Well, I think there's a whole decade or so of embarrassment where I've sent work that's clearly not ready. A surprise publication experience offered her a hard-won lesson about staying true to herself. She even made a rule from this. There was one incident. I got a piece published in a journal, and I was really pleased about it because it was a journal that wasn't a literary journal, but it had a literary issue. And the promise was that you would get editing support. So I submitted this thing. It was a long piece, very personal, CNF, and it got published without me knowing. It just said, here it is. And I went, what? I thought we were going to be edited. It was a very, very dear piece of CNF, but they said it was fiction. And I actually had photos that documented it, and they put their own photos in that they found from the archives. And then it went all around to all the government offices. And people said, oh, wow, I read your story. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So then I wrote them back and I was like, hey, you know, and they said, well, we were kind of short staffed. And anyway, so they fixed it online, but not in the physical issues that everybody had read. I ended up making a um, rule after that, which was don't flap your work in front of just anyone. It kind of goes with other things, too, where people will run into you and they're writers and they say, oh, send me something. And then you send it to them and you never hear back. And so I call that flapping your work. And I try not to do that. Although, you know, I think we all succumb to it every now and then. I know I do. But that's sort of the lesson from that particular piece. So there's the lesson. Don't flap your work in front of just anyone, writers. This is such a valuable lesson put in Laurel's irreverent terms, which I love. I also love that she took from that not embarrassment about her work, that she wanted an editor to help her shape before publishing, but the recognition of exactly what she wants from her future publishing experiences and the will to hold out for the right places to submit. Now Laurel knows much more about how publishing works and how to hold out for those places. I didn't realize how nuanced they all are, how different journals are looking for different things and that they're very dynamic and that editors are writers themselves and they often move around. And I find them to be very social people. And so often if I follow editors on social media, then I can sort of understand the perspective from their point of view. They're raising families and they're getting in groceries and they're academically busy and teaching and and learning. So I also didn't realize how human they are and how busy they are and how generous they are. I didn't also realize how many there are because I used to think there's just sort of a top 10 tier group that I sort of heard about that were on my shelf. Our next writer up is Lyndall Kane, a fiction writer working on a collection of short stories. Lyndall's work has a unique point of view and a really specific voice, so she's absolutely right to be cautious about where she sends her work, as are all writers, really. Here's a story of how she learned not to flap her work, again, as Laurel puts it, in front of a specific journal. There was a magazine I was going to submit to, and I chose at random three stories to read from their archive. And one of them happened to be a story about South Africa. Oh, and just for audiences who don't know me, I suppose, which is probably most people, I am South African, if you can hear the slightly strange accent. So I chose this piece at random and it happened to be a piece about South Africa. And I read it and the piece 
read very strangely to me and very inauthentic. And afterwards, I did an internet search on the writer and the writer wasn't South African, but had stayed in South Africa for a month or something or some short amount of time. And the problem with the piece wasn't that it was someone from another country writing about South Africa. The problem for me was that the person writing about South Africa, the character was a South African. So they were writing from a South African point of view and it just felt very inauthentic. So then I decided not to submit there. Lyndall is currently working on a patient long game for her writing. She continues to be selective about where she sends her work, trusting the process of submitting as much as her voice in her writing. About a month ago, I submitted to a top tier journal, which I really didn't think I would have a chance with, but I just submitted to them because they were open and they've always been on my list and I thought I would give it a go. And I did receive a very nice personal rejection from them asking me to submit again and stating clearly that it was not a form rejection and that they don't often send those out. So that was very positive news. A rejection is a rejection, but it's also not always. I guess I've started to think maybe I do have a chance with these higher top tier journals and that I am going to submit to them more. And of course, the journals that have asked me to submit again, they're high up on my list to do so when they open. I think there's been a lot of outside pressure or at least perceived pressure that I should publish as much as possible. And perhaps like an emphasis on the quantity of publications rather than the quality of publications or the quality of the journals where the publications appear. And so when I first started out, I was just submitting everywhere and then a bit relieved sometimes when I got rejections from places that were in my B or C list. So now I've started to be a bit more picky. I'm submitting only to my A list first. And if I get a large amount of rejections for a piece that I've sent to many A list publications, then I either have to relook at that piece or otherwise, if I feel I can't work on it more, submitting it to the B list. Aha. So Lyndall didn't start out not flapping her work in front of just anywhere, but learn to become more picky over time. I want this for every writer, knowing your worth, being careful about where you share your work, and staying true to your authentic voice. Our next writer is Tamara Jong. Tamara is a down-to-earth, kind, and thoughtful creative nonfiction and comics writer. I've been honored to witness her following what feels right for her when it comes to choosing how she writes her work in what genre as carefully as she chooses what to write about. Here she describes an experience of following her instincts even when another voice inside her, a more fearful one, suggested she hide a true story in fiction. I was going to submit something as fiction to another magazine and it was something on mental health. It was a theme because I didn't want to talk about my own experience. And then I had to tell myself, like, I think you're just embarrassed or shameful or ashamed of what happened. So you don't want to say. So I did send it in as my own experience. And then it got rejected. And then, of course, I felt terrible. (laughs) I was like, why didn't I do it as fiction? And after I dusted myself off, I was like, I did the right thing. And then I sent it to another publication and it actually got published. I changed, I think, one line or a couple lines. That was it. Otherwise, it was fine. So Sometimes we think something's like fundamentally wrong with the piece and there's actually nothing wrong with it. 
I'm stepping away on that wonderful note from Tamara Jong on the truth that sometimes there is nothing wrong with your writing when it's rejected. To let you know about the Write, Publish, Shine Intensive, currently open for registration as of the release date of this replay episode. This is my intensive course that brings together all of the goodness of my three courses on generating, revising, and publishing your work, plus much more. This holistic intensive takes writers through the journey of developing new, luminous writing with lots of features feedback, training to help you skillfully edit your work, and a custom-tailored plan to submit your writing for publication. You will finish the program, should you choose to take the intensive, with completed short works of writing already submitted for publication to places that most fit your voice. Do you crave support and structure so you can write your most luminous work? Does this sound familiar? Your writing practice has slipped and you need deadlines, encouraging feedback, and help to hone in on your unique voice. You feel overwhelmed about where to begin when it comes to revising your writing and want to develop your editorial skills. You don't know what to send lit mags or whether there's a place out there for your unique voice. You want feedback from a writer and editor who has your back, that's me, and a community of writers to support you and your dreams of writing and publishing. Should you take the intensive, at the end you will have polished several stories, poems, or hybrid work, submitted your work to publications that fit you, prepared for a big yes for your writing and your writing dreams, and found your place in a community of writers. So you already know me as the host of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I'm Rachel Thompson. I'm also a literary magazine editor with Room, a published author, and online course instructor here to help you publish your most luminous work. In the intensive program, I help you every step of the way to write, publish, and shine with personal feedback and support. During the intensive, you will have three one-on-one mentorship calls, a one-hour personal manuscript review session, a warm seat revision review, so we don't call it hot seat, we call it warm seat, with me, plus group coaching calls during the revision and Lip Mag Love course sections. I offer a sliding scale payment option and reconciliation pricing for BIPOC and or trans writers in an effort to make the program more accessible to all writers. So we start very soon, again, as of this recording, and we go for four months of dedicated writing, revising, and publishing practice with lots of support from me. You can learn more and register at rachelthompson.co slash intensive. That's rachelthompson.co slash intensive. Staying true to your voice, who you are as a writer and human, frankly, and what you're here to say is one of those things that sounds really easy, but is harder than it looks for many of us. Here again is Lyndall describing the pressure to write in a certain genre and resisting that pressure following her own path. Trusting my own instincts about my writing, I sort of had pressure from people to move my focus away from short stories and to, this is more on publishing than submitting perhaps, but to start focusing on novel writing just because there's a bigger market for that and a short story collection doesn't make as much money and it's hard to publish and all of those sorts of things. In that sense, I've had to trust my own gut and the feeling that I can write. I mean, another piece of feedback I've also had before is that my plots and my characters aren't made for short stories and that they would work better in long form fiction. So that's also something I guess I've had to sort of follow my own instincts on and make up my own mind about. 
And I have just decided to go with what I want, which is to write short stories at the moment. Another time I've had to trust my own instincts is with the weirdness of my writing or the marketability of my weirdness. I think my writing can be a little bit bizarre and perhaps against the grain or just not quite normal. Not all my writing is very strange, but quite a lot of it can be quite strange. So I've had to decide if I want to go into using my strange characters in a, perhaps a, a more normal setting, making it a little bit more palatable. And in the end, I think I've just decided to rather lean in fully into the weirdness and become perhaps even more weird. And I think that might be harder to find a market for, but it is more more of a thing than just being in between weird and normal. So yeah, that's just another little, I mean, I'm trusting my own instincts here, but I'm not actually sure if it's working out so well. I haven't had too many publication wins, so we'll see. But as I said before, I'm playing the long game and I'm, I'm leaning into this. It takes time to develop that confidence and clarity. For Tamara, things also started a little murkier. She had trouble finding her authentic voice in her work, in part because of a lack of representation in the writing she had access to growing up. I used to write a lot of orphan stories, <laughs> Jane Austen-like pieces, feel-good, you know, savor-type work I had seen and read on my bookshelf and also in school, which for the most part were kind of right writers who didn't really look like me. And I'm of mixed ancestry, so I'm Chinese and white and Scottish to be more specific. So the stories I kind of wrote and submitted were not only amateur, but they weren't in my own voice. And I know that now, but they taught me a framework so that I can kind of build on. And then that helped me find my voice, but it took like decades. And what really helped is community and other writers. I went to Humber School for Writers and I had a conversation with the writer, Jack Wang. And he wondered from the story I submitted, why the protagonist can be somebody like me. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. He's like, why can't you write someone like you? I was writing like a white character who was like me, but not me. And it was fiction as well. And the big thing, I think the revelation for me was that I had edited myself out of the story. I think I've done that a lot with my older writing. You know, I kind of disappeared in it and it's yeah. been said to me by other people. So it's good. It's hard sometimes when you're working with your own stuff, you don't actually see what's happening because you're just writing. <laughs> Or so you think. So I think it's important to start to listen to yourself, whatever that sounds like. And then you kind of will eventually figure out, hopefully, your intuitions with regards to your own writing. But deep down, though, but you have to learn how to trust yourself. But it does take time. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to listen to yourself and sometimes fail, which I've done. And then sometimes you succeed, which I've also done, which is nice, in ways that I couldn't have imagined. So I'm grateful for all this learning that I'm still doing and continue to do. Back to Laurel again, who describes why it took years for her to understand how writing differs from storytelling. She comes from a big storytelling family, and it took a while to understand the difference between how writing is taught in school and how writing really works. Nobody's ever really given me another plan for being a writer, but I myself am my own worst enemy because I grew up in a family that everybody was always storytelling. They always told stories to each other. And so I have this way of talking in public at a party or whatever, where if I'm going to bore somebody or say something that's not true, someone's going to interrupt me and call it. And so I have this sort of breathless way of describing, you know, telling a story. And I like to get to the finish and not be interrupted. And the cost of that is that it has to be interesting. And you're sort of auditioning. That was how my family 
you know, did things and, you know, just how I grew up and I worked in a bar and, you know, I was very social. And so when I started writing, I thought that's how you write. You know, I was trying to copy my sort of storytelling style into writing. And I was always trying to merge those two. And I realized at this age, like I've been doing it for decades now, that those are two completely different things. That that story that you tell in a bar, you know, a family story or a funny story or something like that, it's structured completely different because you've got people there who've got other things to do and they might just order another beer or walk away or whatever. Or my father might say, cut it, you're on next or something like that. So writing a story is a completely different structure. When I was in school, you were taught creative writing in a certain way by the time you got to high school, which is when I really liked writing. And I realized not until I took my first creative writing workshop as an adult, that that was completely wrong the way they taught it in high school. They said, if you're going to enter into writing a story, then you deserve to write a good one. And so you have to structure it. So before you start writing, you have to map out your plot. Remember, we always had that drawing of the plot and the arc. And then you have to describe all your characters and write character, what were they called? Character descriptions or whatever, like biographies of each one of your people. And and then you had to do this and then you had to do that. And then you get your setting, then you do research. And the very last step was to put everybody on the page and make them move around and do stuff. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I tried and, you know, I got decent at it. So then when I went off to university and I knew I was going to follow some sort of creative path, I went into theater instead. And that's where you study improv and all these other things where you're just accepting gifts and thinking on the fly and all that, which I loved. So I did theater, but it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I took my first creative writing class. And then I learned that all those years that creative writing is like improv that you just put unexpected things on the table and move them around and see what happens. And so I feel like I missed a lot of decades in writing because I realize now that all that storytelling and theater and everything else was building towards a way for me to develop my own voice as a writer. Laurel learned to trust herself by looking to writers from the past and the resources she has today that help her grow as a writer. Trusting my own instincts about writing has been one of the most challenging things to do because I don't have a huge amount of confidence and it is a solitary art form. And I feel that my challenge is to find the truth in what I'm writing and to have the confidence that it will find an audience. And those are two things that are extremely important to any writer. And they're the hardest things to do because I find that I often will shape a piece of work and add a flourish at the end or a sentimental lesson or something like that, because I feel that it needs an ending or it needs a beginning or it needs punch or something like that. And what I've been able to do is to go back to the pieces that I love to read. And those women writers from England in the middle 1900s have taught me so much about humor and structure. And I love the interiority of domestic life in writing. I just love reading about it. I love reading about how some woman in the 1950s is obsessed with how she's going to get the stain out of her couch or something like that. But what she's really talking about is world peace or something. You know what I mean? So I, I'm just trying to have that confidence. And I think I've got so much more support than those women did. I've got people who read my work. I've got lessons. And I wonder about how all these other women were able to carve out a corner of their house and write about stains on a carpet or whatever they were writing about, but they're really writing about war or 
or love or betrayal or, you know, whatever. And they didn't have the time. They didn't have the editors. They didn't have the, you know, and so I'm just trying to realize that they had their instincts and I find that I need to trust mine a little more. There is this irony in finding your writing community, at least the way I see writing community, because for me, it's not about depending on other people, but it's more about learning that you can survive the challenges of writing, the vulnerability, the rejection, and depend on yourself because you're all doing this really wild, scary, brave thing and sharing your experience of that wild, scary, brave thing together. Here's Lyndall describing a game that writers in the community that I host play. The community is called Writerly Love. And by the way, this is not an ad. I encourage you to find whatever connections work for you to keep going with your writing. So in our community, Writerly Love, we have a game called Sink or Submit, which also helps us with our rejections, where every time we, we submit a piece or we get a rejection, we count that as a point. And when you reach a certain number of points, you reward yourself with a predetermined reward. You play with other people on a board so everyone can sort of see where everyone else is, but you're not playing against anyone else. You're playing, I suppose, against yourself. So you're trying to hit targets. With the point being that you submit as much as possible to get to those targets. But then when you get a rejection, it's not a complete negative because that also counts towards your overall goal. And then if you get an acceptance, it's sort of a loss. I mean, it's a win for yourself, but for the game, it's a loss because you have to reset your points back to zero and start from there. So that's just another little thing we do (laughs) in this whole submitting process to try and make ourselves feel a little better about rejection. And the more I've been submitting and the more I've been facing rejection, I think I've started to realize that a large part of it is also a numbers game. You just submit, 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 and hope for the best. I think a lot of that is because so many people are submitting. And also, even if you have a really good piece, the person who reads it is just one person out of however many, and they have to read so many pieces, they probably aren't able to read each piece as clearly as they want to. So if you get a rejection, it's not necessarily that they didn't like your piece. It's just, it perhaps didn't reach the right person at the right time. And I mean, you have no control over that. The only thing you can really do is just to submit to more places. And Tamara, as always, cuts right to the most necessary thing for a writer to hold, hope. I think if you feel that hope, like just go with it. And even if you don't get the thing, maybe you don't get that, but you might get the next thing. It's always building a framework, I feel like, for the next opportunity. But just think, stick to your goal and then just go for the things that you love, right? So that was three writers who, like you, I suspect, are figuring this out. How to stay true to their writing, their voice, and their goals when it comes to publishing And my hope is that you'll take away from this that you can trust yourself and follow your own lights when it comes to choosing the form, subject, the everything of your work, and exactly how and where your writing is received. Next week, I will be back with a new series of podcasts that will take you behind the scenes of my editorial efforts on the latest issue of Room Magazine starting with episode 80. And I say my editorial efforts, but actually what I'm going to show you is all of the people that are involved in those editorial efforts of creating a luminous issue as we did with the ghost issue of Room Magazine. 
Do you crave support and structure so you can write your most luminous work? The Write, Publish, and Shine Intensive starts soon. Write, revise, and publish your luminous writing with lots of support from me. You can learn more and register at rachelthompson.co slash intensive.